Thanks for listening to the Wellspring Church Podcast. Why don't you have a seat? Well, good morning. I'm glad you guys are here today. Hey, if you're a guest, uh, my name's Trey Kelly. I'm, I'm lead pastor here, and we're, we're so, so honored you're with us. I'm excited about today. All right. Question for you as we get started, and I want, I want group participation. Um, how many of you, oh, I, don't think, I don't think the TV is working. We'll talk amongst ourselves. Um, <clears throat> how many of you have lived here during a hurricane? All right. Like, I don't mean a tropical storm. We're not playing that nonsense. Like, I'm talking like at least a cat one. You lived here when the hurricane hit. Oh, that was a lot of people. All right, hold on. Put your hands back up for a second. I want to know. All right. If you stayed for the hurricane, leave your hand up. My people. My people. All right, you can put your hand down. Uh, Isn't it it fascinating? For those of you who maybe you moved here uh, recently, you haven't experienced a hurricane yet, or uh, if you got here, you learned pretty quick. Like, to live here, to live in Myrtle Beach, you figure out how to handle hurricanes. Right? It's just kind of a part. A part of life, and everybody kind of has their own system. I have a system of whether or not I'm going to stay, I'm going to go. It's my system. I'm not going to tell you the system because I don't want to be responsible for you (laughs) staying or leaving. Not doing it. But here's what I have discovered. The longer you live here, the less likely you'll leave for a storm, right? Or the longer you wait to leave. Because we all have experienced that storm could be going to hit tomorrow and then, you know, it just, it just turns north. But I, I don't know about you, um, part of my system, and when I say part of my system, the whole system really, is, is relying on, on experts. Uh, because I'm not, I do a lot of things. Uh, I am not a meteorologist. Uh, I don't even play one on TV. <laughs> and so... What I've done is I've decided, for me, this is not an endorsement, for me, there's one voice that rises above them all. For me. Don't, don't yell it out. We don't, there's lots of great meteorologists in town. I'm not besmirching any of them, but, but for me, I do what Ed says. <laughs> Seriously, man, Piotrowski says it. I'm doing it. I was thinking about this. He might be the most trusted man in Horry County. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I do not know. I don't, I don't know Ed personally. I wish I did. I don't, I don't, I don't know Ed. But um, I've been reflecting on why. Like, why, why is that true for me? And it's because at all times I feel like he's telling me the truth. Um, I, he never kind of gives in to that tendency from time to time to overhype, you know, and, and he walks us through it calmly, patiently. Uh, he does these, I've never been on him, but he does these, like, host these Facebook lives where you can, like, ask questions, and he patiently answers the same question 7,000 times. Uh, um, you know, uh, I was reading an article about him uh, a couple weeks ago. It sounds like I'm obsessed with Ed, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> 
Ed, Ed, if you're watching, you're safe, buddy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just a fan. Like, I'm not. <laughs> but there was, a, there was a storm recently where he spent like over 100 hours at, at, at work in the studio. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, it's because he's honest and because he, he, he tells us. And so when Ed's like, hey, I think we're fine, get ready, I start getting ready. When, when Ed's like, maybe you should leave, then I'm like, maybe I'll leave. But if Ed ever looks at the camera and says, leave now, I mean, there will be a tray-sized hole in the wall. Like, I'm just, you know, I get cartoons. Gone! And if you've lived here a while, like, he, we know how to prepare, right? If a hurricane is coming, you've learned how to prepare your yard, what needs to come inside, what needs to be kind of cleaned up. Uh, maybe you board over your windows for, for a big enough storm. Like, like um, you know, many people know how to use generators. I'm not one of them. I'm not competent enough. But maybe you do, and you have a generator, so I'll come to your house next time. We all go to the grocery store and buy bread and water and toilet paper for some reason because that's what we need. But if you've lived here long enough, like, you, you've, got, you've got a system. Um, and you've got, you've got an authority uh, that you listen to, and you trust that authority to help protect your home. I don't know, some of you are like, bro, where are you going? Well, I bring all this up because I think it sets us up rather well uh, for, for our sermon today. Because if you're a guest, we're in a series that we're calling Under Pressure. And this is a series about learning how to thrive in trials, learning how to thrive when things don't go our way. And, and if you're a guest, I'm going to encourage you, if you don't have it already, grab our app because it's a great way to stay connected with us. But also you can go back and you can see where we've been the last few weeks because this is actually week four of this series. This is week four of this content. And, and we're kind of moving forward today. But, but very quickly, let me kind of tell you where we've been in this series. Uh, the reason we can have hope and the reason we can thrive in trials is very simple. It's three words. It's because God is good. And if you're a guest today, if you're new and you're like, how do you know God is good? I would point you to week two of our series because we covered that. Um, and the answer is we, we taste and see. We try. We experience uh, that God is good. And the value of that knowledge, the value of that anchor is when we are in trials, when we are in, in seasons of, of hurt and seasons of heartbreak, seasons even of pain, things that we would call storms of life, there's a couple things we can get. We've talked about it the last few weeks. We gain perspective in our pain. Jesus taught us how, in the midst of, of storm, in the midst of, of pain, to look through it to see, okay, he's still good, so he's at work, so I can trust him in it. Last week we talked about how we can even find purpose in our pain. God uses those storms to perfect us, to change us from the inside out. And the path in our pain is to persevere, is to run to Jesus, is to run to his people. So if you've been here for the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about past pain. We've even talked a lot about present pain. Today, I want us to look forward to the storms that haven't hit yet. Because they're coming. Because we still live in a world that we were not created for. We still live in a world that's broken by sin. And so there are still seasons, there are still trials, there are still storms 
that are coming. And much like our boy, Ed, Jesus wants to prepare us for the future storm. I hear some of you, did he just compare Ed Piotrowski to Jesus? (laughs) He is a Christian. I do know that. No, no, I didn't. What I actually just did, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, then I'm going to do it, is actually a little sneakier. Full warning, I'm about to Jesus juke you hard. The question I want us to wrestle with today is when it comes to our physical lives, our physical stuff, our property, we will listen to a man we've deemed an expert. We won't question We'll do what Ed says. <clears throat> Lean in for a second. Why won't we do the same thing for the God of the universe? I hope you heard me say we. Because I question Jesus a lot more than I do Ed. <laughs> I'm like, you sure, man? Are you sure about that? But today I want to take you to uh, a couple of passages. We don't really do this normally, but I'm, I'm kind of excited about today. Um, first place I want to take you is, is to the end of the most famous sermon Jesus ever, Jesus ever taught. Uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're familiar with Jesus at all, this is where he taught things like uh, love your enemy, turn the other cheek. Uh, you know, all the things that people who don't even like Christians like Jesus for teaching. Um, it was really when he kind of unveiled his, hey, I'm different. We're going to go change the world by how we treat other people. But at the very end of that sermon, he gives me and he gives you and he gives us the key for preparing our lives for the spiritual storms to come. He gives us the practice to say, hey, you do this. You put this in your life. You can have perspective, you can have a path, and you can have purpose in whatever future pain comes your way. You can be confident now that you'll be standing if, if, if you put this into practice. So let me show you what he says. So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he very simply says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. Anyone who listens to what I say and does it. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? If I were to tell you that is the key to preparing for every circumstance, every situation, every storm that may come, be honest. Please don't do this, but be honest. You might want to giggle. You might want to roll your eyes. You're like, really, that's it? Listen to Jesus and do what he says? Yes. You want to prepare your life for whatever might be coming? Do whatever you have to do right now. To seek Jesus, listen to Jesus, and do what he says. Why? He tells us. Because when we do this, we are 
wise. It gives us wisdom. Wisdom to navigate circumstances. Wisdom to have perspective in storms. Wisdom to stay on the path in a storm. Wisdom to trust God's purpose in a storm. And I know what you're thinking. Why are you calling these storms? Well, because Jesus does. That's what he says. When we do these things, we're wise. We're like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Jesus uses an image we all relate to. And he says, hey, you want to thrive in future storms? You want to protect yourself now? Follow me and do what I say. Because if you do, it's like building your house on solid rock. And that faith, our relationship, will stand whatever our enemy throws at us. Then he presents the alternative. He says, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, and when the rains come and floods come, and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, please hear me. Jesus isn't threatening you in this moment. He's not threatening me. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is simply pointing out the reality of trying to survive in a world we weren't created for. And he's saying, these are the stakes. This is why I came. This is why I gave my life. This is why I pursue you every moment of every day of your life. Because I know without me, without you building your life on me, without me being the foundation, without me being your hope, without you listening to me and doing what I say, eventually a storm is going to take you Some of you are like, yep, I've been there. And you're here because you're slowly rebuilding the pieces. And your Heavenly Father is here to graciously help you rebuild. But what Jesus is trying to give all of us is a better path forward. So you, you don't have to rebuild. You can listen. You can do what I say. You can trust me. And you can actually withstand. You can survive those storms. What Jesus is saying is simple. It's that we prepare for storms by surrendering to our Savior. I know some of you are thinking, Trey, you talk about surrendering to Jesus a lot. I know. Every sermon Every series we've ever done, at the core, surrender to Jesus. Surrender your marriage to Jesus. Surrender your parenting to Jesus. Surrender your finances to Jesus. Surrender your fears and hopes to Jesus. Surrender your emotions to Jesus. Surrender the good times to Jesus. Surrender the bad times to Jesus. Surrender, surrender, surrender to Jesus. Why? Because he's the Savior. Because he is the God of the universe. And so I understand when I say we prepare for storms by surrendering to our Savior, I intend that to feel encouraging. It can be received as overwhelming. 
Because if you're like me, you start thinking about all the areas that aren't surrendered. And it feels like too much. And so you're like, you know what, I'll just try again later. And so here's what I want to do. I don't ever do this. But uh, I'm a Southern Baptist boy at heart. And I got a straight up Southern Baptist sermon for you guys. All right? I got three points for you. Because what I want to do is I want to take you to Jesus' teachings. Not only his, but teachings he provided through his Holy Spirit to the men that wrote the New Testament. Very quickly, I just want to take you to three passages, and I want to give you three steps. Steps we can take today to begin preparing our lives, preparing our hearts for whatever our enemy might throw at us. All right? The bottom line is we prepare for storms by surrendering to our Savior. That's the takeaway. But I just want to give you three quick steps. Three things to wrestle with this week. Three things you can look at and say, hey, am I doing these three things? These aren't all the things, by the way. They're just three simple steps that will help prepare you for what might be ahead. First one I want to take you to comes from our buddy Paul. We talk about Paul a lot at our church. Paul wrote about half of the New Testament. Um, and in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, he gives us an encouragement. And as he normally does, he picks up where Jesus leaves off. And one of the, Paul's jobs was to take Jesus' teachings and kind of help us mere mortals understand it and learn how to actually put it into practice in our lives. And so here's what Paul does in Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. He says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. That's what Jesus just said. Don't just listen, follow, step, walk with him. And then Paul tells us how. Watch this. He says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I love this picture because we can all understand this picture. We all understand how roots work. We all understand the stronger the roots, the more we can withstand in life. Some of you have trees in your yard right now that are 50, 80, 100 years old. Think about how many storms they have thrived in. It's because of their deep roots. And what Paul's saying to me, what Paul's saying to you is, hey, if we want to prepare, you know, we prepare for storms by surrendering to our Savior. You know how we build deep roots? It's real simple. We do this. We place our hope in Jesus. I know that sounds real. Oh, we place our hope in Jesus. Here's what that really means. We day by day, moment by moment, constantly evaluate our hope. And anytime we feel our hope leaving Jesus, we surrender that to Jesus. Here's what I mean. If you find your hope migrating to your money, I don't have enough money, I need more money. If I just got more money, then dot, dot, dot. Jesus says, hey, that's dangerous. Surrender that to me. If you find your hope migrating to your marriage, if my spouse would just step up, if they would just do this, if they'd just be better, then dot, dot, dot. Jesus says, hey, that's never going to work. They're, not, they're a great person. They're a terrible God. Surrender that to me. Place your hope. If you find your hope migrating to your children and their success or failure in whatever arena you've deemed important, 
That's hope there. It's why you encourage them so much. It's why you get so excited when they do well. It's why you get so angry when they don't. And you don't understand why. Like, why am I so frustrated by this? They're 12. And that referee is 16. And I literally, I want to kill her. Why? Because she's threatening your hope. Jesus says, hey, 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 listen to me, follow what I say, build your life on me. Paul says, how do we do that? Let your roots grow down into him. When you're driving home at the end of the day, and you're overwhelmed, and you're exhausted, and you're beat, this is going to hurt. And all you want to do is get to that room, sit down, and grab that bottle. Because that bottle is going to set you free. That's your hope. And it's going to let you down. Every time. And so what Paul's inviting us to do is investigate our hope. Evaluate it. And part of that you can see from the fruit in your life. Because when your hope is in Jesus, you act more like Jesus. When your hope is in anything else, it lets you down. And you're not super fun to be around. <laughs> Looking at you, big guy. <laughs> so what would it look like to take a step to prepare for storms? But placing your hope in Jesus. Evaluate that hope. Grab that hope. Don't let it waver. Another letter. Paul gives us another step that I think makes step one easier. That's the cool thing about these steps. They're all going to work together. Um, this one comes from his letter to the church at Galatia. The first step was about personally. How we need to think about Jesus in our own lives. The second step involves other people. Here's what Paul says. He says, hey, guys, make sure you share each other's burdens. He's saying, hey, we don't only prepare for storms in our own life. We make ourselves available to be strong when others are weak. But we don't do it on our own strength. Watch, watch what he says. He says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. So the law of Christ is this new commandment Jesus gave um, at the last meal he had with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. And it's where he called them together, and he says, Hey, guys, I give you a new commandment. Love each other. And they're all like, Bro, you've been telling us to love each other for three years. But then Jesus says, I'm not done yet. He says, Love each other as I have loved you. That's how I want you to love each other. So what Paul's saying here, Jesus loves us by saying, bring me your burdens, and I will give you rest. So what he's saying is when we live in community with other believers, with other Christians, 
We have an opportunity because we've built our lives on Jesus, because our hope is in Jesus, to show the love of Jesus, to walk in the power of Jesus in the lives of others. He's not saying in your own strength be like Jesus. He's saying out of a relationship with Jesus who is going to pour more into you than you possibly need, that overflow of Jesus will allow you to share each other's burdens. It will allow you to be there for each other. It will allow you to give great advice. It will allow you to create healthy boundaries. It will allow you to love like Jesus loves us. Which means, if we want to prepare for a storm, not only... Do we need to place our hope in Jesus? But also, we need to invest in the people of Jesus. And I say need because Jesus says, listen to me and do what I say. That makes you wise. And so not only do we place our hope in Jesus, we invest in the people of Jesus. That's why God's given us this place called the church. It's so that we can live in community with people. So that we can help be their foundation in Jesus, not in you, but in Jesus. We can help be their foundation in Jesus when they go through struggles. And then equally, they can help be your foundation in Jesus when you go through struggles. And I say this all the time. The beauty of a church our size, there's no storm you're in that we don't have someone that's walked through it. And they can come be a guide. They can come be a coach. Ooh, watch out. This is coming. Here's how Jesus helped me, and I'm going to walk with you through this. You don't have to walk through it alone. Make no mistake. God intends to use other people in our lives and hearts to help us weather storms. But he is always the foundation. And that's why the first thing we have to do is place our hope in him. Because it's only when we've done that that we have enough of him to be able to play our role in the lives of other people. And that's why we talk about this every week, man. That's why as a church we gather weekly, and it's why we sing weekly, and it's why we, we teach weekly, and it's why we encourage weekly, and it's why we hope daily you're, you're praying. We hope daily you're listening to, to praise music. We hope daily you're, you're reading your own Bible because what God has for us requires him in us 24-7, 365. It is impossible to get enough Jesus an hour a week for what he wants to do in our lives. It's just not going to happen. And, quite, and honestly, just bottom of my heart, some of us, the, the reason we don't quite understand how this is all supposed to work is because this is the only Jesus we get. This is supposed to be a top-off. This is, this is supposed to be a little, a little check-in. We want to place our hope in Jesus, we got to hope in Jesus 24-7, 365. And then and only then can we invest in other people. But that's not it. We place our hope, step one. We invest in other people, that's step two. The last one comes from Peter. And I love that it comes from Peter. Because if you know anything about Peter, even if you've seen movies about Jesus' life, Peter was this bold, brash disciple, one of Jesus' best friends. And at the moment of testing, failed. Three times on the night Jesus is arrested, he denies knowing Jesus, which makes what he writes so much more powerful to me. Because he's not writing out of his pain, he's not writing out of his frailty, he's writing out of a life 
that is built on the resurrected Jesus, that is filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And so it is with not an ounce of irony. Peter gives us these words. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Peter Peter couldn't do this. Peter failed at this. But he weathered that storm. And he learned from it. And now he actually gets to share with us, hey, here's what I learned in my pain. Don't make my mistake. If someone asks about your hope, be ready to explain it. But be gentle, be respectful, be kind. And here's what he's saying to us. He's saying, you want to prepare for storms? We place our hope in Jesus. We invest in the people of Jesus. And third, you know what we do? We share the power of Jesus. We share it with other people. Out of a life built on him, out of a life surrounded by people who love him and who love you and support you, we have experiences of his goodness that he empowers us to share with other people. Because it is in the sharing that other people discover, maybe for the first time, that God is good. That's somehow, that's how some people learn to taste and see. It's because they see God's goodness in your life. And so that's that's the third step. That's the challenge. Look for opportunities to talk about Jesus. Share his goodness. Share his power. Share what he's done in your life. And if you don't quite know how to do that, if that feels too much, I understand. And so what we're going to do is we're going to share a story with you. We're going to share a story of a young lady whose life has just been one storm after another. And in that storm, she learned to place her hope in Jesus. She learned to invest in the people of Jesus. And now by his grace, she gets to share the power of Jesus. She gets to share the power of what it looks like to have perspective in the pain, to stick to the path in the pain, and to discover the purpose Watch this. I think growing up in a family where uh, there is addiction present, you get little snippets where you realize that something's off, you know. But the biggest thing about uh, an addictive family is nobody talks about it. You don't talk about, you know, well, this seems weird or this seems odd, or it's almost just this like elephant that's in the room all the time. I think I was 12, like between 11 and 12, when I really realized that uh, my mom was a little different. Like our house was a little different and that she was struggling with something. Um, and honestly, I think everybody knew. I realized that my mom was struggling with addiction when we would have to get her a prescription and we would show up at the pharmacy and the pharmacy would be like, you're still a week out. You're still a week and a half out. Like, you know, and she would be really mad and frustrated. I feel like a way to stay away from all those feelings was to overcompensate with other things, you know. Um, you know, trying to be perfect in school and everything else. And, but I still felt so alone. Like, it was, it was, 
it was just a really fake feeling. When everything that I had taught myself to be happy and to be good and to, you know, do good things and do things well, when all that stopped working, I don't think I realized. Um, and then the next thing I knew, it was a very quick decision with drugs. And the first time I remember taking them, I remember being like, oh my gosh, this is that feeling that I was looking for. When I had first started doing drugs and I was didn't even realize I had become addicted at that point, I would be gone for a week at a time at friends that were in Portland um, and not sober the entire time. I would take pills and then as soon as I started coming down, I would take more again. And then as soon as I started coming down, I would take some cocaine. And as soon as it started coming down, I would put you know, a pill of ecstasy underneath my tongue and just sit there and wait and not want to talk to anybody because I didn't want to even talk until I felt better. I met, I met a really nice guy that lived across the street from where our dorm was that ended up being a dealer. So I went across the street um, and um, I got what I normally picked up and I went back to my dorm room and I took it. And unfortunately, this pill of ecstasy was covered in heroin. So my heart stopped. Well, they had used the paddles on me to get me back to life. Uh, my parents obviously had been called. And in the blink of an eye, everything had changed. I was a liability. Went home, stayed sober for a little bit. And because I hadn't done anything to try to fill that, and I was still in such a broken place, um, I relapsed. Um, and this time when I did, my heart stopped in front of my little sister in the front of our house. I did um, a rehab and talking to counselor. It's okay for a while. I wasn't using. Um, I ended up at college, stayed sober, found decent people, um, but there was just something that was still missing. My dad moved us out to Ohio. My mom was really bad at that point and was still getting medicine from a doctor actually that lived in Maine and was shipping it to her. And then she had a new doctor actually out in Ohio. My dad called and he goes, listen, I lost my job. I need you to come home. So I hadn't been doing that well in college even at the second time. And I thought, okay, fine, I'll just go home. I started using again because it's in that same house, that same environment. My mom actually, um, was at home and uh, with my dad and my sister. And I had just moved out a week before into my apartment. And I was setting stuff up in my room and Tim came in, he was my, my roommate at the time. He came in, he said, I have to take you home. Um, and I knew, I think I knew, I think we all knew that this day was coming. We got to the house and uh, we realized, I realized that my mom had overdosed and was laying on my uh, bedroom floor, actually in a praying position. And for a family that didn't go to church, that was uh, one of the first things that I had seen. It was my parents' 30th wedding anniversary, and that's how she left this earth. One night, I was so, I think, sad and just angry. I didn't understand why, like, why I would deserve this. But nobody had talked to me about God, but he was there for to listen to me. I remember just shaking my fist in the air and just being like, why would you? I was looking in the mirror in the bathroom and I just knew I've got to get help. And it wasn't my voice, it wasn't anyone else's voice. 
God was literally standing there behind me. He said, you have got to get help. So I went to rehab, and it was 40 days. And I came out, and six weeks later, I was pregnant with Anna. With my husband at the time, um, who was also an addiction. We were really struggling to get on our feet, um, and uh, especially trying to battle addiction throughout you know, the entire thing um, with my ex-husband. Um, and his parents, uh, Gary and Denise Whitaker, they said, you can have a fresh start, just move down here to South Carolina. And so that's what we did. I just woke up one day. I wanted to know where Phil was. I was really angry and really mad and uh, just asking where he was, like, why are you leaving me alone? Like, and he went out to the kitchen and I could tell there was something different about him. He and I had a heated discussion and I went into the bedroom and he chased it after me and then put me up against the wall by my neck. And he just started shaking me. When he let go and something immediately just said, go get in. I went in there, I checked on her and I saw her in there. I went back out and that's when he had walked out onto the screened in porch. And so I snuck up behind him and I locked the door and I locked the door to the front of the house and then all of a sudden, as I'm walking back into Anna's room, I hear the garage door. I had left the garage door. Immediately got scared, went into Anna's room, and I picked her up and I just held her. And he started throwing himself against this door. And when I tell you throw himself against this door, this door was a regular door. There is no reason why he was stopped by that door. I know now what that reason was. The police were there in about three and a half minutes, but the door didn't break. So about three or four months later, I waited till he went to work, got a apartment. I got a new job selling furniture at room store at the time. Not really quite sure what that was going to look like, seeing that I had never sold furniture before. <laughs> Uh, shortly after that, um, obviously, and his dad and I were separated and we had split. Um, I met Eric. Uh, Eric's family, they were Christians. And when I tell you they were Christians, they were the most understanding, uh, the most loving, and appreciative people I had ever met. So I kept thinking, what are they going to think of me? Like, I have you know, a daughter already, and you know, I'm now engaged to their son, and how, what is all this gonna look like? But they never judged me ever. I had never been given that kind of unconditional love before. I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew that the love that they had shared with me was something I wanted to be desperately a part of. We started attending another church in the area. Um, I was really growing in my faith. Um, I was talking about God more with Eric and with Eric's family, and there was an issue, and we had to leave that church. And that, I think that broke my heart, you know, because that's where I had become saved. That's where I had heard Jesus and known that it was Jesus. The first time I heard God, I didn't know that was him talking. So now, I'm here I am getting closer, and and up, and we didn't go to church for a while after that. But then we found, then we found Wellspring. Then we found our people, our community group, uh, serving. Our kids grew up actually here. And we haven't looked back. I'm 40 years old, and I'm not ashamed anymore. It doesn't hold me like it used to.
In fact, it doesn't hold me at all. God holds me every day. And through Jesus, I have peace. I have peace. I have a family. I have the biggest joy just to talk about what Jesus has done in my life for other people to know. Because I was at the bottom. I was there. And I was there multiple times. Jesus never stopped believing in me, even when I stopped believing in me. And he's never going to stop. So I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to stop chasing after him. I'm never going to stop about chasing others, about helping my kids get closer to him, and just sharing his good word with all, all the world whenever I can. Every day is a new day, and every day can be a new day. I don't have to be defined on what happened yesterday or, you know, um, what I did yesterday or anything. It's just every day to get better. And he wants that for us. He wants the happiness for us. He wants the joy and the laughter and all the things. So, but we can't get there without the work. So I feel like my story was a lot of work. <laughs> but it has a good ending. to do in your life as well. So where has your hope veered off? Take a step to bring it back. Have you invested? If not, you can today. Join a group. And do you look for ways to share the power of Jesus? We'd love to hear your stories. needs to hear your story your friends and your family and your neighbors and your co-workers parents do you talk about the power of Jesus with your kids do you model for them placing hope in Jesus investing in the people of Jesus to share the power of Jesus we want to help that we are living in a world we weren't created for. And our Savior gives us a path. He says, listen to me and follow. And you will withstand the storm. As your church, we are the resource for you. So step today. Trust today. Build your life on your Savior and 
Invest in his people. Share his story. So that he can carry you through the current storm and prepare you for the next one. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to go straight into a song. Because as we sing these words, I really want to challenge you to invite the Holy Spirit in, to show you if your hope's deviated, to show you a step to take, to show you a story to tell, so that we can leave this room different than we walked in. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you so much. We are so, so grateful for your power. We are so, so grateful for who you are and for what you do in our lives and our hearts. We are thankful for the promise that if we build our life on you, you will sustain us. Father, give us the wisdom and clarity to step towards you today. Show us where our hope is deviated. Show us where we need to invest. Remind us of a story to tell. Father, as we sing these words to you, may your spirit become real in our hearts. And maybe leave here different than we walked in. We love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.